Third Bell from the team of the Bass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his fortnightly appearance. This is fortnightly appearance in the program. The lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest, as he does in the program every two weeks. Eric Longenhagen on this edition of the program analyzes all prospects of particular note this week. In writing about the trade that sent Brian McCann to Houston in exchange for Albert Abreu and Jorge Guzman, two young pitchers, Longenhagen suggested that internal pitching development is quickly becoming one of the organizations, one of the Yankee organization's core competencies. I asked him about the core competencies of other organizations' player development systems. I think we invoke the Cardinals, for example. Maybe the Twins, for some reason, is another thing we say. I forget. What else we definitely discuss, however, is the Joe Panic mold of player. How difficult this sort of player is when it comes to prospect analysis. That is a player who lacks tools, but exhibits many skills to translate to Major League success. Finally, Longenhagen provides a glowing review of a rarity in baseball, and that is a first-base prospect. The first-base prospect in question is Dodgers, young Dodgers field hand, Cody Bellinger. Here's what Longenhagen has to say about Bellinger. This is a freakish prospect, not uh, a hulking, power-hitting, uh, no-projection first baseman. More crack analysis exactly like that in what's to follow. What does not follow now or at any time in the future is a sponsor's message. If there were a sponsor's message, of course, it would come courtesy SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com. However, there is no sponsor's message, so instead, we proceed directly to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. Seconds going up. Everything's working. All right, that's good. Yeah. Wait, who's Jake Reed? Jake Reed, the Twins relief pitching prospect. The does he throw? Does he throw real hard? Not real hard, but but quite hard. Like ninety four, ninety six. Okay. Maybe show you ninety seven. I got some ninety twos uh, in in the reports as well. But, Is it possible yeah. I saw him in the AFL two years ago? You did. Yep. Yes, you did. The Twins, the Twins Fall League affiliates have bounced around because he was here two years in a row, but uh, with Salt River, the one year, the, the one year, the year you came out to see him, and then Scottsdale last year, and then they're they're with surprise this season. So, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone bounce has bounced quite around as much as the Twins. What's the lo- Is there any logic? Because what it's there's there's six teams, yeah, and uh, five five major league clubs are are split up amongst the six AFL right. teams. Is yeah, there a I don't logic know. I mean, that you can detect obviously with the Arizona based teams for spring training, they usually end up with the fall league team that's just closest to their complex or in their complex. So the the Diamondbacks and Rockies train at Salt River Fields. So their prospects are always on Salt River. And Glendale always carries the White Sox and Dodgers prospects because that's where those teams have spring training. Um, and then, like, the Angels are in Tempe. Tempe doesn't have a fall league team. They are on uh, Scottsdale's uh, roster, their prospects are. And that's just the, clo- that's the closest uh, fall league affiliate to their uh Spring training complex, just like there's no the athletics play uh, for Mesa. They train in Mesa, but not at the Cubs complex where Mesa's fall league team plays. Mesa Solar Sox. Yeah, Mesa Solar Sox. Mesa Solar Sox, who are in the championship game tomorrow, by the way. Yes, the championship game tomorrow, which I think will sound a lot like two days ago to people. It will be. Yeah. Who are listening when this is published? Yes. And do you have any messages for those people in the future? To start things off. No, I don't. No, I hope we're Is there anything that you want them to retain? Is there any sort of sense, do you say, you want them to remember about the the near past that maybe they will have forgotten? (laughs) You know, I think Epictetus, great Stoic philosopher, he teaches us to, um, you know, navigate our impressions, you know, and to um, recognize that that's all they are to wisely use them. 
And uh, sometimes we can do that by looking backwards into the, into the near past. But if you don't have any messages for those people, that's fine with me. No, sorry mm-hmm. to disappoint you and Epididymus, but... Epididymus? Uh, <laughs> that's true. You got it. <laughs> At, Max Schrock has a uh, very good chance of appearing in that game. Yeah, it seems like the uh, the whole of the Athletics Fall League prospects will be going tomorrow, including the pitchers, based on what I've heard. Uh, that's one of the, the downsides about a, a competitive Fall League game, which tomorrow will be, because you know, the, the kids get a ring if they win, and they get an extra several hundred dollars, I think, if they win the thing. Um, get, they get money. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and a nice and a spiffy ring. And there's a, a banner put at the um, up in the outfield in Mesa and stuff, and it's it's remembered for all eternity. But the but because everyone is on a pretty tight pitching schedule for developmental reasons and to caution away from the possibility of injury, like we kind of already know who's going to throw tomorrow. There's not really a contingency plan in place to try to win the thing. It's just, you know, you let the chips fall where they may with the scheduled the scheduled pitchers who just, you know, three of them happen to be athletics and one of them is Frankie Montas. So it'll be fun. But, yeah. What's Frankie Montas looked like so far? I mean, he's still throwing incredibly hard. He's been up to 102 here. And the stuff across the way, it's starter stuff. It really is. Uh... You know, obviously the fastball is explosive, but the slider and changeup are they're they're good too. It's just he's had the command and injury issues. They're just they're always just hanging around. He just constantly has them, and uh, I just kind of think it's time to move him into the bullpen. But it's Oakland, you know, so they have every every reason to try to extract starter value out of. Uh, every pitching prospect they have. So I think they're going to start him in Nashville in the rotation next year. Okay. Yeah, for this, of course, is Frankie Montas, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. the Oakland uh, Oakland prospect. He was part of the package acquired for... The Josh Reddick deal? Josh Reddick? Yeah. Rich Hill? Mm-hmm. It's the second <laughs> time, I believe, uh, you've, re- you've referred to it as the Josh Reddick deal. Josh Reddick deal? That many people, probably the Rich, Hill de- the Rich Hill deal. People will call it the Rich Hill deal. Yeah. Or the real deal, the real deal. That's terrible. Hey, can you? Can I ask you about a player? His name is Austin Gomber. Yeah. His name might be. His name might be Austin Gomber. Mm-hmm. Gomber. Gomber. Gomer. He plays for. Sure, he plays for Glendale of the Arizona Fall League, but I believe he's a prospect of the. I don't know. Who do you want to guess? You want to guess St. Louis, Louis Cardinals. Cardinals? Yeah. Yeah. He. I uh, saw the other day. He pitched. Um, uh, he pitched splendidly, and I think that he is also. Mm-hmm. He's generally speaking, he's had a good Arizona fall league. Yeah, he's one of those guys who comes here and throws a ton of strikes with solid average across the board stuff, and pitches deep in the games. He's he's been one of the more outwardly competitive guys here too. Like he's visibly frustrated with himself when he walks anybody, um, which especially late in fall league scouts. Like to see, because to be honest with you, the last week of games that I've seen, it's been rough to evaluate anybody. Because, and I understand it uh, completely, but a lot of the players have kind of checked out, uh, and Gomer has not. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's been he's been good here. It's like uh, upper eighties, low nineties with a fastball, downhill plane, a uh, little bit of arm side run, throw strikes, average curveball. Uh, Average to above change up, probably be an above average to plus change up at maturity. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah, and he just looks like a solid, you know, number four, number five type of, type of arm. Is what, uh, what tipped you off about Gomer? That's not, you know, he's not one of the more famous names out here. Well, right. I mean, I looked at strikeouts. He's, he's got, uh, basically strikeout printing, but it's mostly, I think, uh, cause I've been following along with Max Schrock. Mm-hmm. And I think they may be pitching for Glendale against Mesa the other day. Mm. Gomer. We say it again. Gomer. Like Gomer Pyle. Okay. Gomer, he pitched uh, very well, I, guess, I think, against Mesa, I believe is what happened. And, uh, yeah, seven strikeouts uh, over uh, six innings. Yeah. 
So I said, well, I'm not very familiar with him. And then there's always this, there's always a, a suspicion when you see a St. Louis prospect. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't. You say, well, have they somehow transformed yet another player? Not that it happens as often for them with with pitchers. Um, although they have had some players of that ilk. Thinking like um, uh, Tim Cooney. Okay. That a, that's a person, and uh, well, mostly Tim Cooney, I guess, is who I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> He's well, I mean, the, the organization in general has has the reputation of extracting the most out of guys who have unspectacular tools or unspectacular stuff. And yeah, I guess Gomer fits into that. He's He's that uh, every year F- South Florida has pitchability lefties, like high school prep lefties that just are way more advanced than a lot of the kids around the country because they pitch year-round or they have, have the opportunity to. And yeah, that's that's not always great for the arm, but with someone like Gomer who's just a big, thick, physical guy and does everything pretty easily, it's, there's not a whole lot of effort there in the delivery at all. Um like it's fine, and I think there's there's benefit to that. Jesus Lazardo was going to be that guy in this last uh, draft before he needed Tommy John. Another um, prep lefty at Nationals ended up drafting and signing to um, an overslot deal, like a Miami commit. Like Gomer's just one of those was one of those types of arms without quite that much stuff as a, as a high schooler, and then he went to Florida Atlantic, and it was the same thing. And yeah, he it's just like a real solid. Uh, low ceiling, high floor type of arm. Hey, brief aside, Florida Atlantic, is that the school that Matt Perk attended? No, Perk went Who to Who is T- Matt Perk? Perk went to TCU. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. FAU, TCU. Is Florida Atlantic the school Chris Sale attended? No, he went to Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, okay. All right. Fort Myers, lovely Fort Myers. Glad we've established some facts. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that, that uh, of course St. Louis is able to extract quite a bit of value. They're not necessarily, I think, probably their bread and butter, as it were, tends to be like these seemingly defensive. Uh, you know, players you think oh, this guy's defensively limited. And the mm-hmm. bat's not excellent, and then it turns out a guy can play a defensive position competently, and the bat's a lot more valuable than than one might have originally anticipated. Right. That's an organizational. Well, I'm going to st- I'm going to steal a phrase from you. That is a that is a core competency. Mm-hmm. You wrote y- just yesterday, I guess, with regard to uh, the pitchers going from the Astros and the Brian McCann deal to New York. Albert mm-hmm. Abreu and Jorge Guzman. You made an interesting comment towards the end of that in discussing a couple players. For example, Chance Adams, a Yankees prospect, James Caprillian, a, uh, a, a Yankees prospect, and Rookie Davis, whose velocity spiked before leaving the Yankees to go to Cincinnati in the Aroldis Chapman deal. You said um, that scouts have seen upticks in velocity from the likes of them under the umbrella of New York's player development system. Internal pitching development is quickly becoming one of the organization's core competencies. Mm-hmm. Would yeah, you... and there are probably more names that I could have mentioned too, like Jordan Montgomery okay. or uh, like Chad Green, maybe. Chad Green, yes, Chad Green. Uh, uh, yeah, was was uh, hitting ninety seven when he appeared, even as a starter for the Yankees last year. Mm. Yeah, I don't know specifically what's going on there. It's something that I hope to, to really dig into and find out once the Yankees prospect list comes around. Um, obviously, my attention is just focused elsewhere at this time. But just from talking to scouts here in Fall League and uh, and on the phone uh, when the, this deal was made, the, the Yankees just – there is something going on where they're, they're acquiring pitchers and – Suddenly, there's something more there. I don't know uh, what it is, but there's enough smoke that I, th- I think there's there's probably some fire. Caprellian's velo upticked after uh, he was drafted. Dylan Tate is is throwing harder again than he was before that trade. Although there, there's probably more going on there than uh, than we know about. 
And Dylan Tate, uh, of course, was a he was a coveted uh, draft pick out of Santa Barbara. Is that right? Yeah, UC Santa Barbara, fourth overall pick in 2015, was moved from the bullpen at UCSB into the rotation as a junior. So he never pitched. He never really been stretched out as a starter before, and was just fantastic. Like mid nine, mid to upper nineties plus slider. Very athletic. There were some Dontrell Willis elements to his delivery that made it hard for him to command. Um, but I saw him with the Rangers this spring after they drafted him, before they dealt him uh, for Carlos Beltran to the Yankees. And not only was like everything, he looked like a, a potential top-end arm because he was flashing a plus changeup this spring as well. And then he really struggled midsummer. The stuff was way down. Velocity was down. Um but people weren't sure if there was an injury or if it was because he was just gassed from pitching so much, much more than he ever had before over the last year and a half or so. And, uh, yeah, it became trade fodder. But he's been, he hasn't been great. He hasn't been as good as he was in the spring here in the fall league, but it's been, it's better. It's not, uh, the sort of arm that puts up a five plus ERA in the Sally League as a college draftee, like he looks like uh, a big leaguer again. So, yeah, I, I do think that there's something going on with the Yankees. I don't know what it is just yet, but the, these pitching prospects that are just popping up across the board and have real major league futures, it's been going on for a couple of years now, and the rate at which they're churning them out is seems like it's starting to increase. So it's it's interesting to try to figure out what's going on there. So you met, So we've mentioned... Uh, for the Cardinals, one of their core competencies is this ability to convert a seemingly anonymous player into, you know, I mean, best case scenario, Matt Carpenter, but there are also mm-hmm. some other um, less uh, less clear victories that are still very good in terms of a team's ability to to survive and succeed. Uh, we've discussed here the Yankees, their ability, some something going on with internal pitching development. Um, do you have any? Are there are there any other teams that you can characterize in this way where you'd say there's a there seems to be a collection of outcomes that do not necessarily or or that are different than than one might have expected? Sure. Well, the Pirates uh, have taken scrap heap arms and turned them into gold. <laughs> That's one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Giants it's and noticeable at the major league level, in particular J yes. Hap and Ivan Nova. The past two years, of course, AJ Burnett had a couple of very successful seasons there, and so that's very conspicuous mm-hmm. at the major league level. Francisco Liriano's resurgence, Edison Volquez became competent there. Um, yeah, uh, the Giants, of course, have have drafted. Uh, relatively low ceiling college players, at least that's the way they were viewed at the time, the Joe Panics and Brian Reynolds types of the world who um, have outperformed expectations in pro now, ball. Joe, Joe Panic we've seen at the major league level. I think he was, what, a shortstop at St. John's? Is that yes. right? And a northern guy without a lot of uh, projection in the power has not has has probably shown better than average power, but has mostly survived on his ability to play second base and just make lots of contact. Right, and he he's the extreme version of this this player archetype that when you're doing all these prospect lists like I am, you run into a lot. This bat first, second base only prospect who th- th- goes into this bucket with all these other bat first, second base only prospects who probably don't have on paper, the sort of power you typically associate with that position, especially now. Um, And so then you just have to try to sift through this bucket of players and figure out which one has the right combination of tools and secondary skills to succeed anyway, and which guys don't. Scooter Jeanette is this kind of player. Cesar Hernandez is this kind of player. Joe Panic is this kind of player. Um... And some of, and Jose Altuve was viewed as this kind of player as a prospect as well. These smaller, uh, powerless second basemen who can really hit, uh, and there's just, they're all shades of gray and some of them don't work out at all. And like Johnny Giovatella, I guess, would probably be someone who I, you know, he's not exactly an everyday big leaguer. Right. Uh, and some of them become 
superstars like Altuve has. And let me let me let me put two more names into that bucket. See how you feel about them. All yeah. right? These are from the recent past. You mentioned Jose Altuve. Mm-hmm. Another competitor for this year's AL MVP award was was Mookie Betts, who obviously is now you know he's like a you know he appears to be on the verge of becoming a perennial MVP contender. That was not yeah. the case three years ago. Yeah, Mookie. Mookie, I think, is – I don't think you're necessarily wrong to stick him into this category, although that's the sort of athlete who could play. Like there are scouts who think Mookie could play shortstop <laughs> if okay. the yeah. Red Sox needed him to. Um, right. So, yeah, that's um, – it's not a second base only type of guy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, like it, it was sort of viewed as potentially being that sort of thing before uh, everyone realized that this was a, a freak athlete with – Perhaps the most uh, uh, gorgeous hitting hands we've seen in baseball since, um, like, a young Miguel Cabrera. Just crazy back control and uh, and quick wrists. Let me but say, yeah. hey, before, or, sorry, are you finished with your eulogy? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, glad you, I'm glad you you stopped me before I got the hand lotion out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I was wondering, now, was that in iambic? It seemed like it was an iambic pentameter. Was it an iambic pentameter? Not I intentionally so, but I just think uh, subconsciously I'm that intelligent that I can do that naturally. So yes, I get it. probably was. Jose Ramirez. Jose Ramirez. Mm-hmm. He was not uh, much of a prospect, but he nope. does he fit into this? Now he played a bunch of shortstop in the in the minor leagues. Yeah, I think. But he I don't probably... think he was regarded as a. Uh, he wasn't regarded as a. No. As a future shortstop, necessarily. Right. He was always, I think, more, viewed more as a utility guy who could kind of play um, a few different positions rather than just a second base only type of uh, type of player. But yes, like you're, you're. I think you're still sort of in that right realm. I think the the prospects that I've uh, covered already in the lists that fit into this mold are like um, just about done with the Twins list and Luis Arias. Or arrays in there, um, and that system is a guy like this, uh, Carlos Aswahe. Luis, Luis Urias? Yep, yep, that's another one. Or Urias? Urias? Mm-hmm. Urias? Urias? Ur, uh, Urias, I'd say, like Julio Urias, same yeah. uh, pronunciation. They're both uh, from Mexico, so yeah. I assume it's the same pronunciation. Yeah, like these, this player, this type of player is all over the place and it's just about trying to figure out which of them are going to do what is necessary to hit enough to play every day, uh, and which are not. So it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. Uh, <clears throat> actually a player, it's interesting you mentioned the twins and while we're discussing this sort of player because, um, there was a player in that system. I think he was, in some superficial ways, at least, he resembled Joe Panic, and that I believe he was a he was he was considered an overreach as a first round draft pick, and he played infield, and that's Michael Levy, Levi, Michael Levy or Levi, Levi Michael, Levi Michael, yeah, yeah, shortstop from uh, North Carolina. So, and I think that <clears throat> I think he was actually uh, he's, I think he's a minor league free agent now. Probably. Uh, he was dealing with injuries. What, whatever, what, what was Levi Michael's trajectory? Am I right in thinking that, that he was not that much different than uh, Joe Panic in some ways? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, Levi Michael was drafted in the first round purely because the, the industry considered him a slam dunk shortstop. I think most of the industry did. Um, I think there were some concerns that the body might have to eventually kick over to second base if he thickened up enough, which I think is basically what came to fruition. Maybe a combination of injuries contributed to such a thing. Um, but yeah, it was it was someone who was probably going to hit like an empty 280 and play an average shortstop. Uh, Devin Marrero was drafted for essentially the same reason in the first round. Um, and you know, I just don't think guys guys like that don't they don't always work out. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, uh, I just think that was an overdraft based on position. That was, I believe, during the era of Twins drafting that was very conservative, a lot of pitchability, a lot of guys who, uh, had, had bat-to-ball skills and, and maybe played a sound fundamental premium position, but just lacked tools 
uh, lacked explosion and athleticism and that sort of thing. And uh, those players are a lot of times viewed as safe when I don't think they should be. And I think Michael falls you know, into that category. Let me to say. Uh, let me to make a point. Is that I had sort of classified uh, Panic and Michael under the same in the same file. Mm-hmm. They were actually drafted uh, right next to each other in the 2011 draft. Panic went 29th. Michael went 30th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, did, I did not. I did not know that. Colton Wong also went in that draft. Cool. Yep. There's another guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's another. He definitely is a baseball player. Absolutely. Well, he fits okay. in, but he's he is of that ilk, like of the players that we're sort of talking about. You Was know, he ever at, even considered a shortstop? No, Colton Wong. No, not not as far as uh, I was concerned. Um, but yeah, definitely someone that uh, we probably underrated pre-draft. Okay, uh, at least the hit what? tool. But I'm looking at Michael's college stats now, and he had he took a big there was a big downturn. Uh, his junior year, sophomore year, hit 346, 575 slugging, 484 mm-hmm. on base, and everything was down across the board. Slugged 140 points lower as a junior. Yeah, but when did uh, when was the BB core introduced though? Oh, that's good. That's a good point. Maybe that was the. Yeah. It was maybe it was that season. Yeah, I'm talking about BB core now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spe- oh, so you want to hear uh, a story about my my doings this week? That oh, but that's just that's something we always uh, we always like to hear. Yeah. Okay, so there was we had a night without a fall league game on was it Tuesday? I think it was Tuesday, and so I went to Arizona State's fall scrimmage against Central Arizona College, and Central Arizona College it's a junior college, so they used wooden bats, and Arizona State was using the BB cores. And Arizona State got their asses handed to them. Because, like, uh, an area scout told me, all of Central Arizona's, their entire pitching staff, they're all in weighted ball programs. And so Arizona State's, Arizona State's pitchers, they ran out, you know, like a pitcher just about every inning. Um, they were all, like, 87 and 91 in, in that range. And Central Arizona's starter, Peyton Remy, came out pumping 90-93, uh, with an average breaking ball and changeup. And he was 86 to 89 in high school. Um, so I know that the, the folks at Driveline Baseball, which is a, a training site for, uh, for, for pitchers primarily right now at least, uh, that uses weighted balls and advocates use of weighted balls, they send a lot of their guys to Central Arizona. Um, and it was just, it was just funny, like, to, to see what I think is probably going to be one of the better Division One programs moving forward, just be – they were eviscerated by Central Arizona College. They just couldn't deal with, uh, with the stuff despite Tell the fact – Central – Go ahead. Arizona as a school, I mean, what, what's their reputation as, as far as a baseball school? As far as junior colleges in the Four Corners and in California out this way – in general, are among the best in the country. Florida and the Southeast is the other sort of hub for the best junior colleges. Central Arizona, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about the school other than that they're in Coolidge, Arizona, which is like southeast of here on the way to Tucson. It's like halfway between Phoenix and Tucson. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the school and the program there, just that they've been receptive to the... uh the weighted ball stuff and allowing their kids to, to stay on it if they've if they've been on it. Um, but yeah, like uh, Southern Nevada, Central Arizona, Western Nevada, all these junior colleges here in uh, in the southwest portion of the United States. Yavapai, Yavapai, up up in Prescott, Arizona. That's where Willie Yavapai. Calhoun, Willie Calhoun is Willie from. Calhoun. Yeah. Yavapai, uh, some other notable draft picks over the last few years. Have come out of Yavapai. Ken Giles went to Yavapai. Uh, but yeah, and there's some lesser prospects as well. But yeah, like, it's just good junior colleges out this way. And, um, Central Arizona is, is among them. And their, uh, their pitching staff looked 
pretty interesting. They some of them struggle with command, and this is an issue that um, area scouts I've talked to have with these weighted ball guys, as they say. But uh, I'd rather have a guy who can't throw strikes and is touching 94 than a guy who can't throw strikes and is throwing 86. So, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, it's just 86 as a figure. You just you, you just that's a firm no. Is that the idea? Not necessarily, because if we if you want to talk about some of the stuff with the twins that I've done over the last few days, Stephen Gonsalves has been 86 to 91 here in the fall league and is still missing bats and. Teams love him. <laughs> so it's not a firm no, but it's just an all else being equal, I'd prefer 90-93 instead of 86-89. Well, tell, tell, tell me about Gonsalves. Okay. Uh, Steven Gonsalves was, again, one of these more advanced pitchability type of uh, left-handed pitching prospects from Florida. He was the Twins... Fourth rounder, I want to say. Let me check my spreadsheet. I think it was a fourth rounder. Yeah, fourth rounder in 2013, which is the same draft where they picked Cole Stewart at the fifth, fourth or fifth overall, I want to say, up in the first round. Um, and yeah, he's been like 86 to 91 here in the fall league, and I've seen him a bunch of times, and every time... He misses bats with his fastball that averages like 87, 88 miles an hour, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out why. So I did some snooping. Uh, at <laughs> <laughs> at he's not like a, he's not like a member of the, um, you know, like the the group of kids in in Scooby Scooby Doo. Yeah, they're always Which, solving crimes because they're snooping. Yeah, they're snooping. They're meddling. They're I think meddling. Yeah. Uh, which is which Scooby Doo character do you think I'd think uh, I'd be? Am I a Velma? Well, I'm staying in, I'm staying on gender, and I'm definitely going. Okay. Shaggy. Okay. <laughs> right. Probably. I mean, not, who's yeah. that? Who's that broad-chested man? Fred. Fred. Yeah, you're not a Fred. Not a Fred. No, definitely not a Fred. <laughs> He's too. Let me hear you say. Let me hear you say. Hey, Scoob. Hey, Scoob! <laughs> like, come on, Scoob! <laughs> Wasn't Casey Kasem uh, shaggy? Uh, he was, uh... Huh. I'm pretty sure Might've Casey been. Kasem was shaggy. For a while, at least. And he I think writes. that, um... <laughs> And I think Alexander Fleming did a did a voice too. Didn't he? Is that true? Yeah, he was Shaggy. Do you want to know? I did. Uh, I actually okay. listened. I did. I listened to an episode the other day of In Our Time with Melvin Bragg on the BBC. Okay. This is a program where Melvin, host Melvin Bragg uh, will sit with three. Uh, scholars in a particular field, and uh, they'll discuss a topic. And in the topic, in this case, was Alexander Fleming. Although it was less Alexander Fleming and more the development of penicillin specifically and antibiotics in general. And do you know, no. Eric? <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. Do you know? <clears throat> he he. It's well known. He accidentally. He accidentally discovered this uh, penicillin, right? Mm-hmm. But he basically gave up on it, almost like just as quickly, almost. He was like, "Well, maybe it has some use," and he tried it in a couple of different. Like he tried to give it people who had colds, and they didn't get better. And then he was like, "Well, looks like penicillin's not going to work out." And then he was done with it. And then it was only two other guys at Oxford, or somewhere else. Who knows? British people, mm-hmm. other Brits, and uh, they're the ones who essentially were able to. Uh, make it to give it an application, you know. So there you go. That's something about Alexander Fleming. I condensed an hour's worth of intense, uh, intense discussion, intense and dense, well-informed discussion to about thirty seconds, so that you can keep that with you forever. That's good. Alexander Fleming. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at to see if the Globetrotters actually did their voices on the. Scooby Doo meets the Globetrotters. 
But anyway, it's interesting. Stephen BBC is not. There, there has there has not been a, an episode of In Our Time dedicated to the Harlem Globetrotters, although I look forward to it. I do too. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I went up to the the press box and surprise because they have the track man on during their folly games, and like I was peeking over the guy's shoulder that was running the track man. And by the way, if you're listening to this, sir, thank you for searching. Um, Fangraphs for your prospect needs while I was looking over your shoulder. It was very Is that flattering. true? He did, yeah. He searched, he searched, uh, for Jeffrey, I apologize for being so creepy, but he searched for Jeffrey Perez, who's a, a prospect in the Marlins system, Fangraphs, while I was looking over his shoulder at Trackman data and came up disappointed because ha- we haven't written anything about him yet. Although I did mention him in a, in a Fall League notes post earlier this year. Um, did you but, tag it? Did you tag Perez's No, I must name? not have because there was definitely nothing on the player page when he pulled it up. And I was like, ah, Uh-huh. Shit. So do you see why this is so yes, vital, Loggenhagen? But it doesn't always uh, – we'll talk about that later. But, uh, <laughs> it doesn't immediately. The next day it will be there though. Okay. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like Gonzalez has some above average spin rates on his fastball. There were some that were up around 2,400 RPMs, which isn't like crazy explosive. I don't think it's the – certainly not the most I've seen this fall. Uh, but it's up there. It's, it's above average. So maybe there's something to that because he does, he does work up and hitters do swing underneath his fastball. Like they do, they swing and miss underneath, uh, these fast, these 87 mile an hour fastballs up in the zone. And I just could not figure out why they were not being blasted 400 feet. Uh, and you know, I just went up there and snooped while I, I pretended to eat crappy press box food over the guy's shoulder <laughs> while well, I looked at the track man data and had a lot of pecan pie. And, free uh, food, at least? It was free, yeah. Do they know you around there when they see you coming? Some of the, some of the people do. Some of the people do. Yeah. Uh, I always yeah. feel cowed. I feel cowed. I go up there and I feel as though uh, they're just looking at me like, who is this imposter? I try to lurk uh, so that, you know, I don't know if it's so I can learn things or just to avoid socializing. But, uh, but yeah, people, I, I'm around all the time. So people in the, with the fall league and stuff, they, you know, they know who I am. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. My wife is on a jog right now. Mm-hmm. When she, re- when she returns, I will have to stop recording because we have to go get all season tires for our car. <laughs> okay. However, I want to make sure that I get to a couple of questions before that happens. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Do you feel as though you've completed all of your all the comments you need to make about Stephen Gonsalves? Yeah, I think so. I'd encourage anyone who's interested in Gonsalves, who is one of the better prospects in the Twin system, to read the Twins prospect list, which should be done today. Yeah, oh yeah, it'll be done today, but uh, it'll be up on the site, I'd imagine, on Monday. Right, which is today. Which right. is today. So go check it out. They have an interesting system, if not a, an especially good one. Okay. <clears throat> Let me ask you – well, we're, we're, we were discussing uh, core competencies and or, core, core competencies in organizations. Mm-hmm. And your list for the Dodgers led me to wonder if that might exist – if some, something along those lines might exist for this – Organization as well, because for example, allow me to point to Jose de Leon. Okay, he was a 24th round draft pick by the, uh, by the Dodgers, who has turned into you know, I mean, he, he appears like he's going to be an uh, an average or slightly above average major leaguer. You give him a 55 future value, so that's clearly uh, what you think as well. Um, I also we also know that Jarrell Cotton. Was uh, was drafted by this team. He was taken the twentieth round. I, I don't you haven't necessarily put a grade on Jarrell Cotton, but I would assume that you think it's possible he's going to be an average or better pitcher. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think I put a fifty on him at the deadline. Okay. Yeah, fifty or fifty-five. I think that still holds. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> uh, you give Brock Stewart a forty-five, so nearly uh, nearly major league average. Yep. Totally fine. Uh, Stewart was a sixth round pick. Sixth round pitchers um, do not, with the great frequency, uh, make it to the major leagues. First of all, and secondly, when they do, they do not typically become roughly average players. And yet, right. uh, you've projected Stewart for something like that as well. 
Uh, I'm curious, is there anything that we know about the Dodgers that would lead us to believe that they have, uh, that they're particularly good at producing, or I guess either at identifying or developing this sort of, this sort of player? Yeah. This I, sort of pitcher in I think it's the former. Actually, I do, I think that they've just crushed the draft. <laughs> Okay. Lately, uh, so I do think it's more of a, a talent identification thing than it is a developmental thing. They do have an excellent uh, player development program mm-hmm. and provide one of the more uh, human resource friendly infrastructures for their young Latin American talent that's coming over as well. Now, the players that you cited are all domestic draftees. So that doesn't apply, but they they do have like at their complex here, uh, women teaching uh, English and just things that grease the wheels for cultural assimilation for their young Latin American players. That I think really takes some of the weight off the kids' shoulders and allows them to just uh, worry about baseball because the Dodgers are, are helping them handle the other the other things that are just hard for. Venezuelan and, and Dominican 17-year-olds to come here and, and live for a few months. So they do that. That's definitely a thing. Uh, but yeah, like just their draft uh, this year was great. <laughs> uh, and some of the guys that they drafted with their I, – I call it mid-round picks. They're like day two picks between rounds three and ten uh, were – it turned out – Really good. They've really intrigued scouts in pro ball since they've signed uh, Cody Thomas, mm-hmm. the Oklahoma outfielder who played quarterback for OU's football team, has impressed scouts with his power, and he's got some late bloomer traits because of the two-sport background. A.J. Alexi, their 11th-round pick uh, who got some, some money, a 6'4", 195, not a great body, but there is some projection there, and was like 90-93 with an above-average slider during the AZL. Uh, Devin Smeltzer from San Jacinto Junior College in Texas uh, has quick-moving left-handed specialist traits, upper 80s, plus slider, serious funk in the delivery. That guy has got a good chance of being a big leaguer. He was like a, like a fifth or sixth rounder, I want to say. DJ Peters, Western Nevada College, uh, plus power, plus run, can play center field, uh, uh, plays beneath his tools because uh, his feel for the game is generally kind of raw, but uh, the skill set and the hair and body have have generated some Jason Worth comps. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like they've just crushed the draft the last several years. Willie Calhoun was a fourth-round pick. Uh, Edwin Rios was a sixth round pick. Imani Abdullah was a high school golfer, 11th round pick, now projects as a back end starter. I do think that this is a talent identification thing rather than a development thing. Uh, but I think that they, they've shown, uh, excellence in both, both areas. And so, hey, wait, since you mentioned Willie Calhoun, Willie Calhoun has, you know, pretty much exhibited one of the, the best bats of anyone from this draft class. Yeah. Do no you, doubt. but he, He's played second base. Mm-hmm. He, I think that your sense is he will not likely no. be doing that much longer. Do you, do you have any more information about where Willie Calhoun will play? No, I think uh, the the org wants him to be passable at second. They want uh, the if he's a four defender at second, then I would expect him to continue playing there. Uh, I think that the the Cardinals. And the Athletics have set some precedent for playing defenders up the middle that maybe necessarily wouldn't typically fit there based on uh, visual evaluation. I think that teams are more receptive to giving such a thing a try if it means getting a bat like Marcus Semien or Jed Jerko or Willie Calhoun into your lineup. So I think that... Uh, that the Dodgers might be pretty liberal and let him try it there. He made, you know, he made a nice play uh, earlier this week at second base, ranging. <laughs> he sounds like your like your grandson when you talk about him. Yeah, like that. you know, Willie, he made a nice play. You I sound think. like you're talking about someone who has no no legs. 
who, <laughs> who you know, who did did something with redeeming physically. He barrel rolled to his right and <laughs> fell on the baseball, and <laughs> it was okay. But no, yeah. he's a sweet kid. Yeah, but yeah, like it's Calhoun was bad defensively at third. Bad defensively at second and in both outfield corners at Yavapai when I saw him. It just wasn't uh, wasn't very good. He doesn't have the arm for third. He doesn't have the range for second. And he doesn't have the the, the straight line speed to cover ground in the outfield. So, like, I do think it's more, it's more of a DH for me. His body has gone way, way, way backwards since he signed. But he can freaking rake, man. Like, I don't care where you – the bat plays anywhere. If it's a DH only, it's still going to be six hit – six game power probably like uh so it doesn't matter i just think that there's a chance that uh the dodgers don't care they say go play second base if you're unless you're horrendous there we don't care uh that bat makes it all completely worth it and i you know i think there's some precedent for it and i think that's what you'll see tried at least initially let me ask you uh, so that this this dodgers list was Interesting in that uh, it's, it features this sort of player towards the top of it uh, we're unlikely to see from many other lists, and that is a first baseman. Uh, you give uh, you 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 ranked Cody Bellinger second to system, but I guess even more notable than that, uh, you uh, you gave him a sixty uh, future value grade, mm-hmm. which is quite high, and I mean, you're not going to give out a lot of sixties, I assume. Right. Mm, well, you must have uh, quite a bit of. Um, faith, uh, optimism, faith in and optimism for the bat if you think that uh, he's going to be a first baseman, uh, if he's going to, you know, if he's going to stay there. Yeah. um, I think the top, the top 30 or so prospects in all of baseball are usually 60 future values or better. So, like, on average, a list might have one of these guys, uh, and the Dodgers had two. Um, there were a lot of people I spoke with who thought I should have had Bellinger number one. Nobody thought it was unjustifiable to stick Yadier Alvarez at number one because the upside is so incredible there, uh, which is why I put him there. But, yeah, like, if, you, if, you're, if you've been following the lists I've put out and – the the orgs that have first base only prospects in them, Kevin Crone in Arizona, Chris Shaw with San Francisco, Ryan McMahon in Colorado, uh, Josh Naylor with San Diego. Every org's got one of these guys, uh, and they've all been really low on my list compared to probably other publications. I think Naylor, Shaw, were both forty future values. Um, Bellinger just it's it's. Monster raw power. He is crazy elite uh, quickness in his hands. He's turned on 95, 96 plus uh, mile an hour fastballs in here in the fall league and hit them out and you know kept them fair, which just takes tremendous talent and skill. There is some Jock Peterson to his hitting style. He corkscrews himself into the ground because he takes just monster hacks and, and rotates so hard. Uh, and there's there's concern about the swing and miss. There really, really is. Uh, but he's also a seven future defender at first base with a plus arm. So there's there's a foundation of skills here that uh, even if the there's there's excessive swing and miss, he's still going to hit 25-plus home runs uh he's got a pretty good eye for the strike zone and uh yeah so i i do think that there's this is like a special perennial all-star type of talent the the approach to hitting is ultra aggressive and there's some risk associated with that but yeah i i can't find anyone who who doesn't like him i can't find anyone who thinks that the swing and miss is a fatal flaw and there were orgs that i talked to who thought that my that my 60 future value grade was light. <laughs> so uh, the ones who like would like me to grade more aggressively anyway and not uh, factor risk into the into the grade and just be like, this is what the guy could be uh, and note the risk instead of factoring into the grade itself. Uh, think that there's just that this is a perennial all-star. And uh, yeah, this was a guy that I probably was underselling 
until I got to see him consistently here this fall. And I've just been blown blown away. And he's, he's going to be really, really good. And I know his name has been bandied about in these trade discussions that the, the Dodgers are purported to have had with the Tigers regarding uh, Ian Kinsler, among other names. But um, because Bellinger's blocked at first base by Adrian Gonzalez. But uh, there are scouts who think Bellinger could play center field if he needed to. It's like that kind of athleticism and, and straight line speed as well. So this is just like a, this is a freakish prospect, not uh, a hulking, power hitting, uh, no projection first baseman. Eric Longenagan? Yeah. I'm going to tell you. I apologize things. for the sounds of suburbia, by the way. The no, dogs it's fine. and the bandsaws. It's. Homeowners like yourself trying to do do the best they can. My wife has returned from her jog. Okay. I have to go get all season tires for my Versa Note. <laughs> okay. You know about you know about this. I know you live in in the Phoenix area now, but you've uh, you certainly lived in Pennsylvania for most of your life. You mm-hmm. know about you know about the importance of getting tires before it begins snowing. I do. I was in a severe car accident uh, on the Pennsylvania Turnpike because of snow. And mm-hmm. certainly appreciate the care you're taking for your vehicle and your family's well-being. Yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, but as long I, as you I appreciate wanna, that, it's a sunny 76 here right now. <laughs> well, some of us can go f*** themselves, can't they? Mm-hmm. Do you have Indeed. any nominations for who can do that? Um, Yourself is the answer. I guess. Me. Hey, listen, Eric, I want to thank you from not a, not exactly the bottom of my heart, but pretty close down to it. Okay. I'm going to do go do some yoga. And yep. try to literally, physically, myself. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. But, uh, but I, uh, I enjoyed talking to you as always. Thank you for listening. That's great. That has been Eric Longenegan. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.